Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks. I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Kroger, since 2010. And it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built a strategy, we built the brand, we built the website, and they helped me execute, and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with, with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2,000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show, something we're really proud of, and I couldn't have done it without the ClearMotive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is, is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your get your creative and market, and get connected with your customers, give us a call and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Adrian and Jeremy from Zeris. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, I know that I need a point. Okay, Adrian, you go. A unique <laughs> dynamic for the, for you guys as well as the audience of having two guests on the show. So really excited to have you guys on because you both have two different perspectives. Jeremy, you're the CEO over at Zeras. Adrian, you're the sales director. So as we work through today, I think it's going to be really interesting to talk and get the two perspectives on the show. So I'll let you guys navigate, but I will direct some questions maybe to one or the other. But so let's start with like, tell us about what 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 is it? What is Zeras? And then we can unpack it from there. <laughs> Yeah, so we're a software development company, modernization company, uh, and I'm not going to use the word digital transformation because I, I think it's overused, but we help. I'm glad you're not going to use the word. <laughs> <laughs> and I just did, but um, we, we modernize applications. So we're a software development company that, that modernizes applications. Okay. And how long, how long have you guys been in existence? We've been in Calgary for two years and really experienced rapid growth probably in the last year. Okay. Um, we've grown from, I guess, three people when we started, the three founders, and we're, we're clicking past 70 now. We'll, we'll be at over 100 by mid-year this year. And not that I want to say the word COVID, but th there now I've said it, I can only imagine that that's been a hugely impactful um, <laughs> you know, external force on your business. Uh, is that rapid growth directly to like you guys were on the path and then COVID just accelerated it? Yes and no. I think um, when we started the company, we, we wanted to be remote first. We were developers and technologists at heart. And it just, we, we always wanted to work from home. We worked remote and we wanted all the people who worked for us to, to feel the same way and just have that sort of freedom. And then, of course, COVID hit and we were sort of prepared for that. And we are realizing that a lot of our clients now um, need to ramp up very quickly, uh, need to understand how to work remote need to move to the cloud, need to be agile. Um, Adrian, you're, I mean, you're dealing a lot with the clients. How, how, do you, um, how do you see that, the change there? Yeah, I think it's interesting dealing with clients that are mostly technical. Um, they, they did pretty well with the shift. Um, the sort of logistics and the human aspect of the change was harder, but I mean, most of them were already leveraging the cloud in some way. So flipping some switches and having everyone set up with the right VPNs to work from home wasn't overly complex. Um, but yeah, for us, it was just sort of second nature. And as a girl, you're sales director. So from a growth perspective, I can only imagine that there's been a lot more inbound and, and, and conversations around like, oh, wow, this thing that was maybe a third tier priority on our list instantly became a top tier priority because of COVID. So from your guys' perspective, just as a growth and a business development side of it, has a lot of it been inbound and people searching you out because all of a sudden this problem is now number one on my desk, not number three or four, and a nice to have became a have to have pretty quickly? 
I mean, so I've been with Cirrus for two months, so I can speak to what I've seen in the last okay, thank, I should have clarified that before we started. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, but I did spend, I've spent my whole career in this industry, so okay. I can sort of speak to what I've seen prior to joining. But I have to say that in prior roles, I don't know if I've ever gotten a great inbound lead. I, I've paid attention to them and followed up yep. with them to sort of do the right thing and ensure that there's not something great there. Um, but we've been getting some amazing inbound leads since I joined. Um, people seeking us out either because they've been referred to us through one of our cloud partners like AWS or because they've hopped on Google and searched for an organization that you know leverages microservices or some of the areas that we specialize in. So yeah, even in the last week, I think we had two come through that are real leads with pretty cool clients that want to do some amazing work with us. So we are being sought out, which is pretty uh, different in my opinion and pretty exciting. I, I appreciate that as a, as, as a marketer. And you know, like, I like what you said, like good leads, like re real, I think you said real leads. It's lots of times stuff can comes in, but when you're, when you're getting on that radar and, and the, the right, your, your, your target customer is actually self-identified their problem. And then they're out there looking for a solution. So to pivot back to the word that we weren't going to say, uh, digital, digital transformation, I do want to spend a little bit of time with it because I think because it is a buzzword and it gets thrown around in every second headline that you read. And, and, uh, Hey, Jeremy, I will, I will call you guys out when you search you online, it does say you're the number one like leader in digital transformation. It does say that. I did see that this morning. Yeah. How do you guys define it? Because I think it can easily be misdefined as like, oh, we're just digitizing what we're already what we were already doing before versus actually looking at how to digitize our business in a way that actually allows it to operate differently than it did before, especially with internal or towards the customer. So in that world, where do you guys see that mix of the different ways that word is defined? So from my perspective, I mean I've got teenagers if you tell them digital, they're going to laugh at you that everything is digital, right? So digital transformation, they're, they're like, well, what does that mean? We're, everything's digital. We've got Instagram. We've got everything. I, I think the word modernize or, I mean, bring everything up to speed and bring it out of the dark ages. Um, we deal with a lot of companies who I guess were afraid or just were sort of status quo, right? They're, if it's not broken... Why do we need to fix it, right? Um, so we go in with this modernize. Let's modernize, look at your business outcomes, um, try to steer away from digital transformation. But of course, it is the keyword. It is the buzzword, right? So it's what attracts people. But we, we switch to that modernize. Um, how, do we, how do we modernize your applications? What are you guys looking to do? Is it you know, increase your revenue? Do you need better user experience in-house? Um, what do you want to gain from this, right? Digital transformation, again, buzzword, gets us in the door, but then we talk about modernizing. Adrian, just not to get into specifics, but those two real leads you're talking about, and, and this is same, really maybe similar in our world where someone comes in like, I need X. But when you talk to them, it's like, well, actually, what problem are you solving? In the leads that you're seeing coming in, and this is speaking to the companies out there of their level of like even self-awareness and understanding like, you know, the art of the possible. Speaking, we're going to do buzzword bingo this whole episode. Um, do they understand like, hey, I need you to help me modernize this certain part of my business? And then you guys end up going, well, actually, what's the bigger, like, what's the bigger ask? What's the bigger solve? What's the bigger problem? Or are they like what level are they kind of thinking at when they come in at that first initial conversation? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think it really depends on who you're speaking to at the client. Um, if we're talking to the CIO or the chief digital officer or transformation officer, it's a much bigger picture conversation. Um, and we're typically in at that level at our clients, but not always at the beginning. Um, so I've worked for firms like Gartner in the past where that's your client, you're dealing with the VP or the C-level executive and those buzzwords are in every sentence, right? They're thinking digital transformation, cloud transformation, agile transformation. We're often working at the director level or manager level here initially and trying to solve more of a technical problem and we're sort of having to elicit what this is solving from a bigger picture perspective because they have a tactical technology problem to solve. And it probably does also solve a business problem for either their customers or, or their internal stakeholders, but we're, we're typically being engaged to solve one specific problem, problem, sorry. And then eventually we'll start getting into more strategic initiatives and, and really working on transformation. So I, I agree it's an overly used term. I think what we're doing is technically digital transformation, but I think the difference between us and some of our competitors is 
We're not trying to solve it all up front. We want the clients that we're dealing with to carve something off that's meaningful, impactful. Let us knock it out of the park. And then, you know, let's repeat, rinse and repeat and, and solve other problems versus we don't need to be the digital transformation partner that's doing multi-million dollar programs to shift your business. Let us sort of tackle it one problem at a time. Oh, the good old crawl, crawl, walk, run, or the simple, like, when I hear you say modernize, to me, that immediately implies, like, oh, wow, like, we're behind. <laughs> like, we need to get things up just to an expectation of that new customer, the 20-year-old, or, you know, or the, pick, pick, pick the age of, like, what do you mean it doesn't work this way? Because all my other rest of my life works this way. Versus when you, like, you get in and you start building a little bit more of a comfort level in the organization, you know, and only then can you start talking about the future. Like, if you're still, if, if you're antiquated and, you know, you're, you're using a swipe machine to do your credit card purchases, you're not really worried about future-proofing your organization. You're just trying to get caught up. So, for first of all, what size of organizations do you guys typically deal with? Like, because I think that's also relevant of, of where they're at. As, as large enterprise versus SMB? We're typically large enterprise, um, okay. and we've, we've got a few SMB. Um, so it's really modernizing ERP stacks, connecting data, okay. um, and taking those old applications and actually modernizing the front end. So I don't know if you've ever worked in an old ERP um, uh, yes, in our world, we sometimes as we're, as we're accessing clients' data, you get to see screens, and you're like, "When is this from?" Like, this is from like yeah. the '80s. <laughs> yeah. So we build beautiful interfaces on top of it. So things that everyone's okay. used to using nowadays, like Facebook, Instagram, we we build those sorts of interfaces that interact with ERPs, and you can do stuff really easily. Okay, so you guys aren't coming in either and going, okay, we need to throw away everything and restart. Like you're very much, like with large organizations, they're entrenched and they made big technology plays 20 years ago that they're still running on. Yeah. And, and nobody wants to be the person that goes, we have to throw that out and start from scratch. Well, then plus that's not even the good old, can't change all the engines while the plane's flying. You got to pick one engine at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we call it the, the strangler pattern is you get in there, you look at a, a business outcome and yeah, to your point, Tyler's, you don't want to replace everything. That's scary to an organization coming in and saying we need to replace well, everything. It kind of paralyzes you immediately. Like the, that's the meeting that yeah. goes, oh, we'll get back to you and then you don't hear from them again. <laughs> yeah, so how can, we, how can we take bits and pieces, make it better for you, make the user experience better, and then slowly strangle out the pieces that you don't need? And then eventually it's really an easy conversation. Like you're not using that backend system anymore because we built around it this new complete system that you're using. You, ma you make it obsolete through redundancy and then kind of build layers on top of it. Yeah. And when you, in the clients you're talking to, because thinking about you know this concept of people listening, going, okay, I'm in my own organization. Do you see companies like in terms of the trend? Are they biting it off one piece at a time? Are they trying to take out huge, make huge changes at once? Like I'm just curious because you think about change management. There's a lot to be said for the human factor here. Of you know, you might have a CIO or a senior leader is like, we're going to change it all, and then the people that are in the day to day are like, oh my god, like we can't, like they have a meltdown when you start to put those ideas forward. I guess curious is there? What do you guys see inside organizations around? Is it disconnected from top down, or is it a one step at a time approach? And I know it probably depends on the company, but what are you guys kind of seeing overall? Yeah, it definitely depends. There's, it's not uncommon to see a disconnect, I would say, depending on who you're speaking to, what department of sort of digital or IT and, and what level of seniority. But I think the um, sort of ideal situation is there's some synergy and the leaders in either technology or digital have buy-in from the non-IT leaders mm -hmm. to transform and to invest and to, you know, put some resources, time into some of these transformative projects um, and that there will be business value. And then they're sort of enabling their teams below them to do what it takes to achieve that. So it might not be completely prescriptive at the high level, okay. but there's a direction and there's buy-in and there's sort of ownership there. And then the teams um, below them can kind of be innovative and engage partners like us or hire and sort of make things happen. Um, I think if there's a strategy at the top level and, and no investment, then they're stuck. Their, their teams can't deliver. Yes, we, we all know right? what happens with those initiatives, right? They fail. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And one thing I wanted to mention on your last question, too, is although most of what we do is an enterprise and it's sort of ERP and modernization related, mm -hmm. you know, one of the leads we got this week is with um, a digital agency and everything is net new that they're building for their clients. So I like that we can do both. We can go into a large enterprise and understand what a traditional IT department looks like and work with them and do it extremely well, even though we might work very differently. Or we can jump into a team of 
completely cloud native developers that are on the sort of cutting edge of trends and technologies and embed ourselves well in that type of team where there's no ERP, no legacy, all net new. So we really do do both. Well, I would uh, maybe make some assumptions around being that you guys have grown over the last couple of years. You're not the big cumbersome consultancy shop, and we won't name the names, we all know who they are, that have these intense teams and layers upon layers. And it's an exorbitant cost oftentimes that just blocks out anyone who's not at the enterprise level. I would assume kind of coming up and growing, I don't want to use the word organic, but you guys have grown so quickly. I would imagine there's still an ability for you to be nimble and to, like you said, plug into a smaller team and do some of that quote unquote, like cool, 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 fun work. That's probably a lot more fast and a lot more like, you know, sprint, 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 sprint. Yeah. I mean, Tyler, we're a no bullshit shop. Uh, I, <laughs> I one of the that. reasons that we, we sort of started this company was we dealt with a lot of big consulting firms and there was a lot of overhead, a lot of account management, 10 to 12 weeks to get an assessment done. Bullshit, right? We, I want to come in. I want to start delivering. Every good outcomes. entrepreneur is there to solve a bullshit problem. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I want to come in. I want to deliver outcomes in two weeks, like the, the first two weeks, the first month and show value that that's what it needs to be. You need to show value. And we, we're excited about what we do, right? So I want to come in. I want to build an outcome two to four weeks and really say, this is what we can do. Let's build out the rest of it. I, pr- I appreciate. Well, well yeah, again, what you, you guys exist because you identified that there was a problem that needed to be solving, right? Not only the individual problems you solve for your client, but you're like, hey, the way the industry is now meeting this, it didn't make sense to you. And I love every good entrepreneur. There's somewhere there's angst and they get, there's that fire up moment where they're like, this is, screw this. We're going to do it different. So, hey, if you guys were going to, you know, if you, there's audiences listening that are like thinking about this or maybe they've put their toe in the water on transformation and done some digital projects, maybe went get well. With, what would you say if you were going to give kind of a, a code of conduct or a memorandum of like, here's how to set them up for success or here's what they need to think. What kind of a, a kind of a, of a profile would you write as maybe an advice piece, but how would you make the perfect client, i.e. also set them up for success if you were going to kind of write that out? To, where do they need to be coming from as a group to engage and be really successful using a partner like, like yourself? I'll, and I'll who wants to off. go on that one? You buy? <laughs> I'll <laughs> take, slowly take a dip of your coffee. I'll start off here. I think it's um, be open-minded and have trust. One of our biggest clients, they're a huge agriculture firm. I'm not going to name names, but they're in Western Canada. Um, they get it. They trust us. We've built up a lot of trust there. We've gone from three people to 30, lots of pods in there. They trust us. We trust them. And we're, we're delivering cool stuff. Um, any company coming in, whether they're young, enterprise, old, new, if you start to build trust and actually show value, that's everything. That's key. Yeah, I would, I would add to that. Um, trust your teams to kind of experiment and try new things and maybe spend a bit of money and fail fast and know that not everything is waterfall and not everything is completely certain. So if you're going to embrace digital and embrace agile, you've got to make some mistakes along the way. And that's the type of environment that staff want to work in, right? Our clients, staff, their IT departments, like give them that freedom and and retain their talent by letting them do cool things. And then find a partner, whether it's us or someone else that you do trust that can come in and not just carve out a piece of work, go away and deliver it at the end, like let them embed themselves in your team, teach your teams, augment your teams and leave you in a better place when we leave, right? Like we don't want the client to be stuck with us forever and say, oh, now we can't get rid of Xeris because they've been here for six months and our team doesn't know what they're doing. We want them to say, you've delivered something, it's great. We want you back because we like the way you work with us and we're better off, not we're screwed and we need you guys here forever and it's going to cost us millions of dollars. So yeah, we, we want think, you to want us here not to feel like we could put handcuffs on you, right? hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I think having a partner that gets multiple cloud platforms and isn't in there selling a product. So we're not reselling anything. We get AWS, we get Azure, we get GCP. Let us sort of be that voice of reason or someone else, but someone like us that is not, getting anything out of the sale, right? It's like whatever direction you want to go, we can help you validate it. We can bring some thought leadership. We can poke some holes in your strategy or your architecture, but having an an outside set of eyes or a few of them to just make sure that you're not going down a path given a lot of what they're doing is new and making mistakes or making investments that are going to bite them later on, like have a bit of trust from someone external to validate the direction you're going and then let your teams work on things with your partners. 
I appreciate that. How much in your world is, how much of the challenge is that kind of platform pref preferential? Like, because you guys sound like you're technology agnostic. We're here to solve the problem and we'll reach into our toolkit. You know, there's nothing to me less credible than the consultant goes, I really listened to your problem. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I have the perfect solution for you right here. And I was going to say it all <laughs> along. I, I basically just listened to you to entertain the situation versus actually listening to here and coming back and going, well, you know, I think AWS might be the solution versus Azure over here. Do you guys run into that a lot? Also curious on the balance between internal teams feeling that they might be losing some type of ownership or control. And I've I've known the technology world to be a bit territorial from time to time. <laughs> How much true. is that a barrier for companies to change when you've got an internal team that's like, no, this is our baby and we don't even want to let anybody look at it or, 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 or coddle it? <laughs> yeah, I think especially in like the architecture world, when there's people that have literally designed and built things for years within an organization, they're, they're going to feel a bit protective and potentially... Um, a bit concerned about someone else coming in and redesigning what they've put all of this work into developing processes and, you know, diagrams around. But it, I think it really comes down to culture. I can go into an organization where the enterprise architect's been there for 20 years and they're amazing to work with because they're innovative. They want to learn and they know that embracing the cloud and embracing the skills that we bring is going to uplift their profile and change their career for the better. And if, if they fit into the organization, then that's a cultural thing from either the CIO or the VP of IT. If you go in somewhere and you've got a team of architects or developers that are totally resistant to us and, and want to stick with on-prem or what they're used to, um, they're going to be a barrier. Uh, and sometimes we can bring them along the way and build some trust and show them that we're not here to take their job away. We're here to help them with their career and teach them some cool stuff along the way. And, and we need them to be successful. Usually they come around. I think there's the odd person. I don't know if Jeremy, you've seen different. There's the odd person that's just like, no thanks. You guys do what you want to do. I'm not touching it. Um, but if if someone is on board, then that's usually okay. Not everyone needs to be, but life's easier for us and life's easier for them if we can all sort of become a cohesive team and deliver things together. Well, I'm sure it's, again, we can't, we can't eliminate the human factor. It's like, you know, change yes. is amazing and we need to do it. And a lot of people feel very threatened by that and the change management piece. And technology is often that tip of the spear that's like, oh, we're going to do a technology change. Then immediately that engages a huge, uh, you know, cultural change management initiative around the human, the human side of the capital and depending on the organization. I was at a roundtable on digital transformation, I think even before COVID. And there was a very large ag company in Western Canada at the table. And then there was a very large transportation and logistics of like probably some of the largest. And one of them was like, you know, we moved from like a basically a six month to two year process to even get an idea moved forward to a strong hypothesis statement that we could validate and we were allowed to go. And the other company said, oh my God, by the time we get our idea approved, it's already done and passed and it's not even current anymore and no one cares. And it was just list interesting listening to two like similar size organizations talk about two different cultures. And one of them had slowly started picking off internal processes to digitize. Like let's, the process for managing expenses, let's digitize that, make that and save 10 hours for our managers a month. And it was really interesting too what that hypothesis model allowed them to start doing very small incremental, all internal, none of it was even client facing, where the other group was like, oh my God, like we, like, an idea that we had two years ago just got approved, but now why would you do it? Because it's so dated. And But it was those two cultures were so different, but they were equally sized organizations. So it's amazing when you know someone made a choice to change the culture and that was the outcome they got versus the alternative. <laughs> yeah, I think the CIO today or that sort of digital leader today, like it's such a selling job for them now, right? Like to sell the idea of rapid prototyping and investing and trying things out is, is tough when you're dealing with often business leaders that have been there for 20 years in transportation or ag or whatever the industry construction, that's new to them. And they're not sitting in on round tables and podcasts and educating themselves on the value of all this. So then that CIO or chief digital officer is like, give me the power, give me the money, let me try this out. And if they can be successful, like that model that you're talking about is what we love. Give us one process, let us digitize it show it to the business, get them excited. And then they're going to be screaming for more of that, right? And they'll be demanding these services from IT. Because I think you're right on the change management front. A lot of technologists are saying that finance uses Excel and there's so many better ways to do it. Let's build a data lake and give them Power BI and they'll be so happy. And they're actually not unhappy with the way they do things. Yeah. Like they're not complaining. That's how they've done it for 15 years. They love Excel you know, they might have some challenges or complaints around data quality or time to get reports, but they're not asking for Power BI. So like get them excited and show them the art of the possible and then they'll start wanting more technology and, and more 
digital solutions, but they're not typically asking for it upfront. I've had a few guests on the show, one specifically from an engineering company, and he said, I walked into my team and said, like, within the next five years, 30 to 40% of what you do now and you believe is the cornerstone of your job will be digitized. So, like, and he goes, you know, we lost about, you know, we had some losses of people that are like, you know what, I'm not on that journey, I want to stay. And he goes, that was okay, that was a price we had to pay, because he goes, I knew, I looked to the future and go, wow, and it was in the construction sector, and he goes, we've done everything the same way for so long, but that world is coming, and we either are going to get disrupted, or we need to get involved. And he said that there was some casualties, absolutely, but I was kudos for him as a leader to stand up and say, this is real, but that 30% of the time, we're going to get you doing something else that actually is even more qualified for a human to do, and let's let the quote-unquote machines do that other work. And he goes, yeah, it wasn't met with positive from everybody, <laughs> you know, then it was a small percentage, but he goes, we definitely had some self-selection mm-hmm. with that kind of a notice. And that's a, that's a risk when a leader steps up and goes, all right, let's, let's pave the way for the new world. And, and then let's slowly start going down, down that path. So do you guys see any specific and, you know, getting into certain industries where you're seeing like more of a hunger for change and transformation and, you know, there's the old established, there's the construction industry is one I talk about a lot. I talk to a lot of people in that industry. They're like, oh man, we have to change because we have not changed for 75 years. And are you guys seeing any specific, you know, bright spots or green shoots where industries overall are kind of pushing this even more aggressive? Yeah. Mining and agriculture for sure. I think um, they, they want to get there and some companies are ahead of the pack, um, really jumping in all in. Um, but mining for sure. I mean, IOT, they want to be able to track devices. They want to be able to track logistics and, and, you know, machines and all their equipment in the field at the mine site. Um, anything that increases value and cost efficiencies. Um, I think they're starting to realize that they can actually save a lot of money by moving to the cloud, by digitizing, by digital transformation. Is that, that word again? <laughs> we can't, we can't avoid, we can't avoid it, Jeremy. It's, 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 it's been said now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's such an industry. interesting sorry, go ahead. Those two industries for sure. I think such an interesting one for me because if you're not involved in it, it's so easy to think it's not as technologically advanced as it actually is. When you start dealing with people in that industry, you know, and I've I've had a couple guests on the show that are in the in in the you know ag tech side, and they said like when have when have farmers not been innovative? They've always tried to get ahead of the weather, get ahead of the soil, get ahead of the markets. Like because they've been trying new ideas from you know, new equipment out in the field to now technology is just the newest thing to how do I get an edge to eke out those couple extra pennies on my, on my commodity prices at the end of the year. But if you're not involved in it, it's easy to think of it as a bunch of guys out in the field. And that is not what it is at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, for you guys' perspective on, you know, even in Alberta, is your primary client base in Western Canada and Alberta? Because I know you're Calgary based, but obviously the world's, the, the world's a small place these days. Um, yeah, when we, when we started, it was yes, but now we're, we've got clients, big clients in Montreal, um, clients in, in the States and on the West coast in California. So we are, we're a global company now and it, it happened by accident. I, we weren't targeting, we weren't targeting global companies, but we've been doing fantastic work with big, big companies here in Western Canada and the, the word has got out. And of course it's spread to Eastern Canada. Our rates are very attractive. We can save a lot of money being remote first. We don't have the overhead of a you know, a large head office or, or corporation. So people are starting to realize we deliver cool shit and we're competitive and great prices. So that's what matters. No, that's that, that's a strong value proposition to go in and like you know you don't have to you don't have to spend many slides in the PowerPoint showing why you have less overhead. It's a pretty easy. Don't have an office. Don't have this. We can access. How about talent for you guys? Like you, you know, you went from three to you know. Da, 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 to 70, soon to be at 100. Where's your, where's your talent coming from? Is, is, are you suffering a talent gap problem or are you getting talent from all over the world? We're getting talent from all over the world. We, I think we've tapped out the best resources in Western Canada and we're starting to realize now we've got to go east. We've got to go um, into the US, mm-hmm. South America. We want to stay the same time zone. We, we like that same time zone and keep... You know, the majority of our senior leaders in Western Canada, so we can have boots on the ground, um, but we are global now and we're starting to hire in Europe. We're starting to hire in Asia. We are going all over the place. So we're not limited um, in just Calgary. And I think that that's a common theme right now is Calgary's, there's a shortage of tech workers and being remote. I think that's the advantage that we have is we can get as many people in Calgary as we can, but we can also scale out to any other country we, we want, basically. Once you get beyond the client facing and the ability to go to a client's office, if you need to, quote unquote, does it matter anymore? You know, I kind of love that it doesn't actually. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And here's the thing, Tyler, when all is said and done after COVID, 
you got these these places in California that are super expensive to live and places in the States that are cheaper and places in Alberta that are cheaper to live. You're going to see, I think, a workforce spread out where they don't have to live somewhere that's expensive. They, they know and want to work remote now. Things are going to shift. Things are going to change. Businesses are going to change all around. We, yeah, we're curious when you think future of work and you guys already went all in on remote and, and built you know, goods part of your value proposition and obviously your talent acquisition strategy is strengthened because of it what, what do you see any crystal ball because you're working with large enterprise that have big office space and are used to having two or three thousand people in the same building uh, is there what are those conversations like because probably those senior leaders that you used to meet in the boardroom they're also calling in from their second home or their what your or wherever the case may be mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I think it's, again, it comes down to trust, right? We, we built trust throughout COVID so that the relationships we have, um, they're not going to need us to go in. We can continue to do Zoom meetings and, and things like that. And I think that's going to be how it works after COVID. I think people are going to be used to, this is how it works. This is how we need to get stuff done. If you can go there and meet in a boardroom, I think it's, it's bonus, right? It's, it's a little bit extra on top. So it's not going to hinder things. We can still do it. But everyone is going to have that mind mind shift about how they work and where they need to meet and what they need to do. I mean, I'm still going to go for beer at the ship with clients when when we do reopen. That's, that's Jeremy. You got to do it. You got to do what you got to do, man. For sure. I I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we'll almost, especially at the at the onset, we'll value it more. Like it'll all of a sudden now feel like, oh, I've got to go across town and meet you. I think I think it'll actually feel like a bit of you know initially, anyways. You know, I'm just looking for I'm just looking forward to hugs being back in style. Like I, I miss like have a good meeting. You want to give you know the high five, and you're like. Mm, other side of the table. It's awkward. I'm not. I'm not a fan. I grew up in Montreal, so everyone was hugging, and kissing all the time, and now you got to stay six feet away. It's. Yeah, I'm not a fan, to be honest. That was the adjustment for me when I when I moved to Montreal. I'm like, oh, we kiss our clients. Okay, I, I'm a hugger. I'm used to hugging, but the two. No, the kiss is another level for sure. It is another level. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I think it's nice to have to to not have to be in person for everything post COVID. Yeah. And if there's someone you want to go have a beer with or a lunch with or you want to attend a certain workshop in person, great. But if it's just, you know, a touch point, whereas in the past I would always do anything in person. It was face-to-face was the way to go unless there was some sort of circumstance that prohibited you from doing that. But now it's nice to do whatever makes the most sense. And I think clients also like that we're here and we get it. We get the Calgary market. We get the Vancouver, Montreal market. We're Canadian. We get the culture. We can leverage resources that might not be local, but we're not just saying it's just Jeremy and I. And then, by the way, everyone's in India uh, or offshore and has never worked in Canada, where we have that kind of nice in-between. Local, lots of folks, employing Calgarians, employing Canadians, but we can scale. No, and I think I think from a marketing perspective or from that story, I do think that matters. I, I absolutely agree with you versus that, you know, no, we're just a figurehead and the rest of it is overseas somewhere and all the concerns around offshoring, but even your comment around, no, we're all in the same time zone, so there's no issues there. And it, it, it kind of quells any concern. And not that I think there's many concerns anymore because we're, we're all so used to it. So curious from your guys' perspective when it comes to hiring and recruiting, you're now competing against the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazon. Like, technically, you're competing for that same talent and the old days of the cool office vibe and the, you know, the foosball not that that makes you cool but we all know that the universal oh you have a foosball table you must be cool kind of kind of myth what's what do you guys use from a like what is the culture and what is the sell of why someone would come work for you because you're probably competing against companies that you can't you can't get into a compensation fight because it's you know that'd be probably like going to a knife a, a knife fight with with a fork in some of the companies you're competing with but clearly you guys have got to create a value proposition from an employer brand perspective have you guys approached that so there's a few things that we've been doing and one of them is unlimited vacations um, and really not not tracking people's time. We're, we're business outcomes. We're outcome focused. So my motto has always been if you get shit done on time, then, I mean, take some time off, right? We've got some deliverables that we promised to the client. Let's get it done and enjoy ourselves. And I think, you know, working from anywhere, I, I was... I did an interview the other day, and one of the, the his requests was, you know, can I work anywhere? I said, we don't care. Are you going to get shit done for us, right? Can you attend meetings? I don't care if you're 100 hours difference, time difference. Can you make the meeting? Can you do things on time? That's all that matters. So it, it comes down to trust. And the little things like unlimited vacations are, are sort of gravy and a bonus on top of it. But I think it's it's trust. That's what it comes down to. That's that that's what builds our culture. Plus, we're we're pretty cool. 
Pretty cool. Uh, I'm gonna pause here because you've only been here for two months, so yeah. you're probably gonna give me the more like what the choice. So curious from a new from a new team member perspective, what were some of the factors? And you've you like you said you've worked in the industry, you've worked for multiple. Mm-hmm. What, what made you guys different? And I, I love a good employer brand story. So you, you you're in that unique position of of having recently made that decision. I mean, a lot of it was for me just intuition. Like I had a conversation with Jeremy and I kind of knew that I wanted to work with him and the team right away, just because we think very alike. And I liked the no bullshit, you know, there were, there was no sales. So Jeremy's been leading sales in all of our client activity until I joined. And I think that it just made sense that it was sort of the right time to bring someone on to focus on that. And I could just tell that we were going to work together really well and that I was going to get up a lot of autonomy. And I think that's a common theme to Jeremy's point. There's trust, autonomy. Um, People get to work on cool shit. Like we're not doing anything legacy. So it's not, there's no risk hiring a developer and saying, we're going to go try to get a lot of cloud work or we're going to go try to get machine learning. But you might get stuck on like an onprem.net project for 10 months. I hope you don't mind. Like they're going to get to work on cool stuff. And that's sort of a guarantee, which I think is super important. And then to your point, like you can't compete with the cool office or the beer keg or whatever it might be. So providing a lot of mentorship, like our CIO, Greg, is extremely passionate on this topic. Um, Giving people a shot. They don't need to have the perfect resume. They just have to be solid, uh, fit in from an interpersonal perspective and be very outcomes focused. And We'll take, you know, someone that might not have the Canadian experience or might not have that perfect resume or haven't had the opportunity to work with a certain tool set. And we will have them work on an internal project, be mentored and really give them a great career path here. And I think that we make that really clear in our interview process. And then we do try to, you know, remotely bring the team together. We have socials. Uh, We just did one last Friday. There were, you know, trivia games and get to know each other with so many new people joining every week. We want people to feel like they're a part of the team and not just a part of the Slack channel. So we're making efforts to, you know, get get to know them and have them get to know us and, and why we're being successful and what we're seeing out in the market. So making people feel like they're part of it. Um, And then we did, you know, we have help. We've engaged a firm that's extremely strong in the digital world to help us source and screen talent because we're not a recruitment company. We're a services company. And that that can be somebody right there, especially when you guys are dealing with, you know, the kind of growth that you are like, yeah, it can be overwhelming. And, and, and like you said, a lot of the technologies, are you screening for traits? Are you screening resumes? Are you doing talents? If you guys are willing to bring in individuals and provide opportunity, that's a bit of a different filter than just picking keywords out of a resume. Exactly. Yeah. So we really had to spend a lot of time bringing the firm that we're working with up to speed on what's important to us, have them meet our entire leadership team, have them meet some of our developers Uh, really educate them on the clients that we're working with so that they can kind of get people as excited as we could on the phone and then screen them from a a cultural fit perspective, not just technically. I really love the mentorship piece because you're in a world where working on cool shit means you maybe haven't worked on it before. So Mm -hmm. there's always new and constant learning, which is exciting, but you got to support people because, you know, throwing someone into a new shiny project can also set them up to fail too. Like, I think that's a very tricky balance. Oh, it's great. Go figure it out. And I'm overwhelmed and, you know, crippled by, I don't even know where to start kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Autonomy can sometimes look like neglect. You have to be very careful with those two things. Very true. So from a technology perspective, maybe if you guys want to, if, if you're, if you're game to geek out a little bit, what's, what's coming down the pipe if we're looking for the next few years and, you know, you're doing a lot of modernization, if we're thinking about future proofing and thinking about what do we need to do for that 14 year old, who's going to be our customer in five years and who's going to demand a level of, you know, inter, interconnectivity with everything. So Jeremy, from your space, or Adrian, what do you guys see coming down the pipe? Like, what should we be thinking about? Say we've got everything up to today. What's, what's exciting about tomorrow? Different e-commerce experiences. Um, we're seeing some crazy stuff, like different use cases, different ways people are interacting. And I, I was, I'm the dad now who always said that, um, I would never be like, how do you turn on the TV or can you help me fix this? But kids help me fix things with Instagram and they're showing me new technologies, like the stuff, how they shop online, um, how they do things now is completely mind blowing. And we get brought into to certain things. It's like, I didn't even know we could do this. And so you, you jump in and you want to learn it. But I think it's it's the e-commerce experience, how people shop online and, and the devices and how they're going to do it. Yeah, one of the other things I'm seeing is in the area of data. I think a lot of clients have 
started to or completed some sort of data modernization and monetization activity. So let's take all of our data from these disparate systems and put it into a lake or you know a consolidated data platform and give better data experiences to our employees and our customers. I think there's a next level to that. I think the demand for data is constantly changing and increasing. So I don't think many companies can keep up right now to what their clients and what their employees want and need from a data perspective. So we're, we're starting to talk to clients about things like data mesh instead of data lake and how they integrate microservices into their data architecture. And we're getting a lot of interest and demand on that topic. Like, oh, we, we, we built a data lake. It's better than what we had. Probably didn't do it exactly right. Probably not being leveraged to the best it could be. Plus, we have like 50 new data use cases from our business. So how do we keep modernizing in the area of data to stay cutting edge and, and deliver what the business needs? It's interesting to hear. Like I, I remember, I don't know, a few years back, like it was like every episode, issue of Harvard Business Review would be, there'd be an article, data, you know, big data, and that was the buzzword. So to hear like kind of where we are in that cycle of like, yeah, companies took a shot at it. They did the best they could at the time, but now how do we keep going to that next level? And, you know, you get down the AI machine learning road and, and it still comes back to the data set, right? What's the data? How effective is it? Are you guys running into conversations like, you know, the, the and speaking of buzzwords, AI, ML, RL, uh, blockchain, pick, pick, pick the buzzword. Is that something you guys run into with companies? Because obviously if you're, you've got to get your data right before you even start entertaining any of any of those fun little acronyms. Yeah, it wasn't something that Zara's intentionally set out to do to sort of play in the data space, but we actually had one client um, locally that we were doing more app modernization work for that started bringing us into some sort of data engineering activities. And our team got super excited. We've now hired in the machine learning and data science space. And um, yeah, we're, we're seeing a ton of demand to get into that space. So we're investing in that area. Uh, we've got a couple machine learning and AI projects starting over the next four weeks. Um, so yeah, a lot, I, again, I feel a lot of clients have done some great things in that space. And there's a lot of machine learning and AI partners out there. Um, and that's why we weren't necessarily prescriptive on going that route at first, but now that we're seeing how it integrates into what we already do and that clients trust us and, and have data work that we could easily take on in Excel Lab, it's becoming uh, a busier area for us, for sure. Well, it's certainly you can't you can't turn your head without reading an article. You know, and we're all, and senior leaders are reading, are tripping over those same articles. And then sooner or later, there's a, hmm, what are we doing around that? And it starts, and then it starts to work its way around the, around, around the just curious, and this is maybe just a, a, a random question in terms of so much of what you're talking about because of the scope and scale and the intensity and the size of data that's required, it tends to be reserved for larger organizations. I guess, what are you guys seeing, or maybe if you have a point of view on the world of how is how is this or what, what timeline are we on for some of this level of insight and level of access trickling its way down to smaller business? Because you look at big to small, there's so many small businesses that are struggling with so many of the similar things, but they're just nowhere in the need and the scale to get the tools. And maybe it's an app or maybe it's a, a service that they, a SaaS that they download. But again, do you guys see a disparity between what's available to large versus small? And is it slowly working its way down to be more accessible? Well, I, I think it's actually reversed. So I think that the larger companies have a lot of data and they don't know what to do with it. The, the smaller companies, the, the small bits of data they have, they know exactly what they need to do and what they want to do with it. And they're, they're so ahead of the curve and so agile that they can take that data, make decisions very quickly on small subsets. So it's, it's actually the, the reverse of that. And I think in between there's that middle bit. The middle companies, the SMBs that are like, we've, we have this data, we're starting to get agile. Those are the companies that are going to come out ahead here. I agree. I think a small or medium-sized organization knows where their data is. They might not be leveraging it and monetizing it, and that's an easier fix than going to an enterprise that has 20 ERPs and two CRMs and e-commerce and you know all these disparate sources of data that they don't know really where they are, they don't trust them, and then the, the sort of challenge of bringing it all together and then applying advanced analytics to it is a lot more difficult. So the small businesses might not have the internal data capabilities and smarts on their team to know what to do with it, but they could easily fix that with some help. 
Oh, that's interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, you're thinking about the, the small business owner who literally knows everything that's going on in his business at all times in his head. Like, what's the next level of that? You get up to large organizations, that's where, you, you know, just silos and no one knows what anybody else is doing. And oh, that's an interesting perspective. Do you guys think about it that way? That's, uh, that's, that's encouraging. Because sometimes it feels like, oh, that's only at the large level or, you know, only if you've got a million dollars can you engage in something like that. Where you're like, no, not, not at all, actually. Hmm. Well, that, that was a very hopeful note. There, I like I like that. I was thinking about it completely, completely up, upside down. So, you, you know, guys, you said 7,200. 7, um, is it continuing? Any any new areas of interest or things you guys are getting into, or is it more just continue to do what you're doing? And uh, sounds like it's, it's sounds like it's working incredibly well. You guys have had some really impressive growth. It's awesome. We're breaking into the entertainment market in in California, uh, music, film. That's our our next big play, and I. You know, we didn't want to go cool. there. We didn't. We didn't think we needed to go there. And just by accident, we've fallen into some amazing clients there. And I think they're seeing the value of how quick we deliver. And again, our attractive Canadian dollar um, and our attractive. Yes, even though it's maybe not as attractive as it was, it's still it's still immediate twenty percent savings. <laughs> yeah, and especially coming in with with our rate. And like I said, we're we're an attractive option coming in because we don't have the overhead. So if you go to a to a company in California that's used to paying three, four hundred dollars for, you know, a consultant, and we come in plus the the difference on the dollar, it's very attractive. And then plus our, our delivery, just showing them how fast we can move, it's a game changer for them. Speed is always a very attractive. Yeah, that's a value proposition that never gets that never gets old. Yeah. Um, curious, any when you're out in the in, in in those international markets, ever is there any any like. What's a Calgary? You guys are from where? Is that ever been an issue, or is that literally is that not on the table, or does it come up? Never been an issue in in my full two months. That's what um, I want to hear, but I'm al- I'm always curious, so that's great to hear. No, that it's, it's funny. It's, like it's if, I, if I think about a call we had the other day with one of those entertainment clients in California, they didn't even ask where we were. I asked them. I confirmed where they work, somewhere in Toronto and somewhere in California, and they're like, "Where are you guys anyway?" Like it didn't come But the up. fact it doesn't matter is actually awesome because it that's is. the value proposition isn't where you're located. It's what you can do, what you're, who you are, how you're going to help me. Absolutely. 100%. And when we talked through like their criteria for a vendor, because it was competitive, yep. location never came up. It was all about skills and how we would approach certain problems. They gave us some technical challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about rates a bit, but location, yeah, it never came up once. Uh, that's and I'd be curious even if a year ago pre pre COVID if it would have or maybe it just maybe it just didn't because the world of technology has always been uh, uh, you know catered very well to work from anywhere and doesn't matter as long as you quote unquote get get shit done it really doesn't matter where your where your laptop happens to be sitting. You know, Tyler, I think there's also a, we get down sometimes to a client site when we were able to travel. Um, you go down there and the Canadian charm. I think um, we're, we're, <laughs> I, I agree. It's a real thing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it works wonders for U.S. clients. I think um, they're, they, they deal with business a bit different in the U.S. So going down there um, and being as agile as we are, um, it, it's, it's refreshing, right? So it, that's the market we're sort of going into. But, uh, of course, Canadian markets as well, right? Oh, that's yeah, exciting. I think there's a lot of industries we can expand into, um, but I don't think we will expand our services in a huge way. Like we're good. We're very good at the things we do and we're not going to try to be everything and compete with every other firm and be the end all be all. We're happy to say no to certain things if it's not our area of experience or expertise. And let's just keep killing it in the areas that we're already killing it in and, and not try to be more. I appreciate that. And I, you know, I've had this conversation before, like as, as entrepreneurs, you're much more defined by what you say no to saying yes is easy. I love saying yes, but it doesn't do you say yes to everything. And then, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none, whatever cliche, but Jeremy, I'm sure saying no has probably been a learned skill over the years. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just speculating as an entrepreneur. <laughs> no actually feels good. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very of, empowering. It, yeah. It's empowering for sure. But no, in the world of technology, knowing what your lane is and being the best at it, because I'm—I also believe it's very easy. Like marketing, it's very easy to go, "Oh yeah, of course we can go over here because it's exciting and stay in your lane, do the part, and then surround yourself with the right people that you can bring in to do those things that you're not the best at." But it's a complement to what you do. I think there's a lot of discipline for that in, in all organizations, especially in this rapid world of like so many. Probably when you guys get in and start peeling back to layers, I can only imagine the the uh, the, the things you can have impact on are, are, are endless in a large organization. And I think there's some fatigue with our clients around working with one or two firms that claim they can do everything and having them be the end all be all. They'd rather sort of 
cherry pick a few boutiques or smaller firms that are amazing at a few things and, and work with, you know, a bit of a variety and have those, keep them competitive and keep them on their toes and, and just give them what they're really good at. I don't, I don't think there's many clients that we work with anyways that are going that direction of let's hire one firm to be our arm for everything. It's, it's well, I would way. assume that's maybe a bit of a trend. Like our industry has gone through that. Like, you know, the one agency of record that does it all to like, no, now we want a digital team over here and a, and a you know, out of home or a TV you know, crew over here. And it's always cycled through different. So, you know, I would imagine in, in the technology world, it was the big players. And now that you're seeing that trend towards, no, find the right group that's maybe the right fit culturally to even work with a certain division in the organization, which it makes sense based on the speed and the need. And maybe the, the like, we've done it a certain way. Let's try it. Like, you know, never underestimate the value of like, well, we're going to try a different way because we've done that for a while and eh, it was okay but let's try something new mm-hmm. yeah being all in at a company too is kind of scary i mean it, <laughs> yes enter- it is enterprise companies shift quite a bit i mean they you know they they lay off entire teams at, at certain points so if you're a vendor in there and you're you're taking on everything and you're all your stakeholders are gone one day well there's a, a risk there for your entire team right it, it's it's scary to have everyone in there I think we've all, uh, any, any good entrepreneurs read those case studies that gave them the, the cold sweats of like, oh shit, how much percentage of my business is coming from a certain client? Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the service business, it's easy because the, sometimes you get into a client and they just keep taking up more and more resources. The next thing you know, you're like, oh wow, this, we just created a huge risk for ourselves by being successful. <laughs> 100%. No, I, pre- I appreciate that. And as being in the service business, I've had, I've had those cold sweat evenings. So I know, I know what that feels like. Hey, what's this was a really interesting conversation, guys. One, congratulations on your success. And just like, and I love your scrappy attitude and kind of what you guys are all about. And Jeremy, you know, I first met, I walked away just kind of feeling energized by the culture and clearly the type of organization that, that you guys are and it, and it shows through. And thanks for your insights because this is a conversation and a, and a topic that is floating around every boardroom and there's so many different versions of the, you know, how do you, how do you unpack the digital transformation terms? You guys provided some cool insights today. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Either they're excited, they want to come work for you. They, what's, what's, the best, what's the best way to, to, to learn more? Call me. <laughs> you, you can give out your phone number if you want. So, is it email, phone number? No, I love, typical sales director. Just call me. I'm re- like, I'm ready. Like, give me a call. Me. Yeah. Um, no, we've uh, most of our jobs are posted on our website. Um, okay. And so, and we actually look at every applicant, and we have team meetings on a weekly basis to go over applicants and where they're at in the in the sort of um, process. Um, and then, like I said, there's a an info at Zeris link on our website. And I actually check that all the time too. So that goes directly to me. And yeah, if anyone wants to have a chat um, or reach out or I'm adrian.robbins at Zeris. Um, well, Zeris that's not, is that's X-E- not easy. My name is No, X-E-R-R-I-S. I want to make sure we spell Zeris for everybody too. X-E-R-R-I-S. Yeah. Yeah. But we check both of those constantly and we're happy to chat with anyone that's interested in either hearing more about us or, or jobs. That's fantastic. Well, guys, thank you both for taking the time to chat with me. I really enjoyed the candor. It's fun. I don't always have two guests on the show, so it was great. I think we got a nice rhythm of the three of us going, so that was a success. But thank you guys so much for your time today, your insights, and the great work that you do. Thanks for having us, Tyler. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great. It was absolutely my pleasure. See you later.